Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And of course, as always, I'm Tane Kill. Folks, today we're uh, continuing our series of interviews uh, on uh, issues that are of interest in the media and things like that. And today uh, we're going to start with part two of our interview, uh, part deux of our interview with uh, with Judge Senior Judge Jim Bodiford. Um, Judge Bodiford has probably tried some of the biggest uh, and most high profile cases really in Georgia uh, over the past you know, few decades. And so um, we had talked to him about a couple of his cases last time and really what it was like to to try high profile cases in Georgia. So we Judge wanted- Bottleford, let's 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 pick back up in that Tokars case. Are you OK with that? Tank? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm sitting here thinking about logistics. Are you staying at the Key West Inn in, in, in Lafayette, Lafayette, Georgia? No, we, we stayed uh, and we had done our reconnaissance on this. We we stayed uh, over in Dalton, which was probably about 35 minutes away and staying out of the hullabaloo, if you will. And uh, so we were there and my whole staff was there. And so you would, would you, was that a six day work week? Oh, yes. And and so especially when you had, see there, that's the thing that I think that judges struggle with in sequestration. We talked about it in another episode, Tane. Do you, you tell the people you're trying to be a good steward, but a little bit, they're captives. And so, I mean, you know, like you talked about in the last episode, we were talking about TV rooms and conjugal visits or not and phone calls and monitored. (laughs) I mean, you can't let them do very much of that. That's right. And what do you do when somebody has like a family emergency or a a thing? uh, uh, By the way, there's no we were laughing. There were no conjugal. (laughs) I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Uh, uh, Definitely. uh, So. Uh, we had a family emergency, and uh, this is what, what happened. We had uh, one of our, our jurors lost his, uh, I think his brother-in-law, who he was very close to. And uh, there was no question. I mean, this was not something where they said, oh, I lost my – he lost his brother-in-law. And uh, uh, I think I learned about it from the sheriff uh, before the jury even reported it. And uh, – he wanted to go to the funeral, but he he didn't want to try to get off the jury, and neither the lawyers didn't want him to get off either. Uh, he, uh, and so uh, we were just going to basically take a break, and I felt bad for the jurors, but take a break during this time for the visitation and whatever. Uh, and they 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 absolutely agreed that he could be non sequestered for one night, so he could stay. Uh, later on, and I think I think we worked a regular work day, and then that night they were going to have visitation, and the next day they were going to have, uh, uh, you know, the funeral. So they they actually agreed on that, and I know we talked about it for a long time. I said this is, you know, I don't want to get this to be hung up twenty years from now. We talked about it, but we got some express agreements, and this juror, if there's anybody that ever broke a rule, it's not this juror. I mean, this juror. <laughs> If it, you he know, was not that guy. No, right? no, no. He was, you know. <laughs> well, that made me think of another question. How many alternates did you have? Uh, I think we we had four, and I think we ended up with three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think we ended up, and there was a, there was, by the way, 
when when we had finished the first trial uh, and we, they were getting ready to uh, to uh, deliberate. And one of the jurors found that he was an alternate because they didn't know. Yeah. He literally threw down his thing. And, <laughs> his and, notebook. And, and, and he was so upset because he had spent all that time. And I wasn't going to tell him, you know, I wasn't going to say that's that's not professional. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> and he had written, I mean, he he was There's almost like a glory for you know, yeah. <laughs> well, any of you who've watched this show, Jury uh, jury Duty, will understand the mm-hmm. desire to be not be an alternate and to be a so ranger. So did the kids testify? Uh, one of the children, one of the child children testified. He had testified in the Roar trial, the, the shooting, uh, the, the shooter trial, and they used that. Okay. Uh, they used that. Obviously, they could have... Uh, you know they could have forced it, but um, you know, and that was that was a, a tough one. But we had nine very experienced lawyers, and they basically came to me. I mean, they fussed and fussed about it, but they were not going to bring in the. I think at that point he, he might have been six or eight. Yeah, or they were whatever. very young when this happened, oh, as uh, I recall. One of, one of them was four, and one of them was six. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. And and I don't want to belabor the sequestration issue, but but was jury protection? I mean, I know you're trying to keep them from being influenced, but was jury protection a consideration in the case as well? You know what? I don't I don't think so. I don't ever remember there being a threat. This was in it. This this is what they would call an Atlanta case, and it was it was up there. And certainly they had not only had 24 hour bailiffs, but they had sheriff's deputies or whatever. But in that little small town, if something happened, they'd be right on it. it. Yeah, 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 that would have been on top of that. Well, let's move to one of the other high profile cases that you tried. And I know this one also was, you know, in the press and it was, it's been made, I think, into some TV shows and some other things as well. But this was the Lynn Turner murder trial. Um, Some people called it the Black Widow murder trial because the facts of that case were were kind of interesting. and, and you can see why it, didn't, it involved the press. Turner had poisoned her husband, who I believe was a Cobb County police officer, at least for a while was a police officer, uh, with antifreeze and then collected his life insurance and his pension. Uh, and, and it didn't get discovered. They thought he had died of natural causes, uh, a heart attack, heart issue. And um, so anyway, she went on then to get into another relationship or into a relationship with a gentleman who was a Forsyth firefighter, I believe. Uh, and lo and behold, he passed away under almost identical circumstances, fairly a few years after their relationship began. They had some children, I think. Uh, and then she collected his life insurance, not as much as she thought she was going to collect because policy lapsed. And then um, there were two trials, as I recall, in that case, one in Forsyth and one in Cobb. Just to be clear, Forsyth County? Forsyth County, I'm sorry, Forsyth County and, and in Cobb, uh, both death, death penalty cases. And as I recall, Forsyth went first, didn't get the death penalty. I'm sorry, the other way around. So Cobb went first and you tried the case uh, for Cobb County, correct? That's right. And there's only, uh, by the way, you've got your, those facts are remarkable because that it's you're correct on everyone except I had the easier part of it. I tried mine first, but mine was not a death penalty. Ah, but based okay. based on based on the guilty verdict in my case, 
They then went to foresight and tried that. Uh, I would say, though, that I had uh, uh, to go ahead and give myself credit. And, and uh, the, the, I actually tried the three-day, what, what we used to, judges will remember what we used to call the similar transactions, where I allowed in the Forsyth County case because they were so similar. I've never seen anything in a 39-year judicial career that was so similar. She did it the very same way. Well, it worked the first time, you know, you don't need, but, but interestingly, as I recall in that case, I, I read up on it, of course, to do this, but what happened was when the second gentleman died, one of the relatives, and I forget from which side, read the obituary and read how he died and contacted the relatives of the other gentleman and said, this same thing happened to my son from the same woman and we need to get the police to look into this. And they and that's that, how it started. That that happened, and also in 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 my case, um, the uh, the police officer buddies of of her husband, uh, the deceased husband, uh, the police officer buddies had never had they had always suspected her, and but they just was not enough evidence and. And when the when the firefighter boyfriend then dies, they said, finally, you know, we've got there there had. Uh, so, you know, at that point, it was the wrong way. The fact that the second one was killed, uh, the, the second one died about the same age, young 30s and died in a very similar manner. Flu-like symptoms and a <laughs> heart attack right after that. And so they actually exhumed the body of, I was of gonna the first, ask that. Of the first right? and found ethylene glycol, which is the base ingredient of antifreeze in his system, and then did blood work on the other uh, body and found the same thing. That's right. And there, there had been a, uh, uh, there had been a, a mathematical mistake made in our the first case, my my case, uh, there was a decimal point put one digit off uh, that that may have you may have discovered the the antifreeze, uh, but they were really not you know. Oh, at the time of the first autopsy, at, at the oh, time, wow. and there was and the the agent had to come in and basically said uh, I you know that I that I I did that, but they were really. They were not looking for antifreeze back in back in those days like they are now. Like uh, so, well, so what was the press coverage like for that? Because I, I mean, I know again, it was just an intriguing set of facts. What was it like? Well, it was it was um, court TV again covered that one, uh, gavel to gavel, uh, and I think I mentioned in my little note to you, uh, Tane, that uh, the in the the person that was actually in the courtroom for court TV was a person by the name of Savannah Guthrie, who has done quite well. <laughs> done since okay that, for herself. Uh, I think I know that name. She's yeah. a Today Show co-host. Yeah. And, uh, she was, she's she was, all right. I, I know, I know where she stayed at, at the, in Perry. And, and, and I, I think, 
I think that was probably we we looked at the place where she stayed and it was an older motel. Yeah. But so she has she she's done she, better. She's done a lot then. better. Yes. Well, and and you hit on something. I was going to ask that that was another case where uh, there was a change of a venue in that case to Houston County, Georgia. That's right. That's right. And we in that in the first episode we had talked about that I had tried to uh, uh, actually get a jury in Cobb, and two and a half days later, uh, it was uh, we had. Clear. Yeah, it was very clear. Uh, 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 even to the DA, it was clear. That was uh, now that was another case that involved some pretty high, you know, high profile lawyers, at least in Cobb County and, and in Georgia standards. And one of them is now a respected jurist, I believe. Is that correct? Well, he, <laughs> I'm not not going to say it because I think he would like to. He would like to say, well, I wasn't involved in any right. of those stuff. But totally he was. Uh, 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 the one that you're talking about, the current judge right now has had a spectacular career, including as a defense lawyer, and he was very sought out. All right, come on. And a DM. Who is it? We'll let the we'll let the audience figure that one the, out. Uh, but but uh, he was uh, he has done a he's done a, a a great job and he's very well respected. And uh, again, I had really good lawyers there uh, and made it easy for me. In fact, that was only a three week case. They had said it would last four weeks. It was a twenty one minute uh, jury charge versus the courthouse killer, probably two hour jury charge. And it was just one count. You guilty or not guilty of malice murder. All right. I need I need to pause you again. If you have a two hour jury charge, you're going to take a break. I, we, we did. Yeah. I we, mean, you actually have to say, OK, I'm going to stop right there for a few minutes and take a break and then come back. We, we And I've never had one like, like that. But we we took a break and I had told the jury beforehand, we will be taking a break. Don't you know, uh, I had to break one time in an extremely long jury charge because I had to go to the restroom. And, you know, that's the one advantage you have as the trial judges. You can call a timeout if you need to. So I did one other question on the Lynn Turner case. And it's really all about all of these cases. How do you as the judge keep the external noise of the case, you know, sort of out of your mind and, and from affecting the jury and the trial and everything else. How, how, what do you do? Well, you you of course you're advising the jury that this is a uh, that you know there's obviously enormous press coverage and they're obviously the same rules that you that you tell your juries all all the time. Uh, back in 2004, we didn't have all the social media. We certainly didn't have it like we do today. We had some uh, and. Uh, but thankfully, most of these people that we had on our jury basically had heard a little bit about the case, but really hadn't heard that much. Even though it was a national, uh, you know, the national press uh, were, were all there. And uh, I, I think they followed everything. You know, you get in, you try the case and you sort of I know people think, well, he's got to be thinking about it all the time. No, I'm not. And, you know, unless we've got a problem with it. And again, you're always saying to the, the press, if they're doing a great job, thank you. I haven't heard any complaints about you. And that makes me feel good about it. And then you hear a complaint, you know, and you're OK. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't you know, I don't need to be dealing with this and make it sort of selfish. We right. had a we had. Nancy Grace came down. The, I've heard the, of her too. The, the, the last three days, and they She'll let her, talk about the twins. <laughs> they, <laughs> they they let Nancy set up 
on the front lawn because she was from that area. She was from Macon. They let her set up on the front lawn. They had a, this huge front lawn and they let her set up in a tent. And uh, the, my security guy says, uh, you've got to see this judge. And when I went out there, I mean, she had this huge, whether you like her or dislike her, <laughs> she had, I, I'm going like, she's like a media star. Absolutely. Uh, uh, she, she had, of course, she had made up her mind long before about, about uh, whether Lynn Turner had, uh, but it was, I went out there and go, gosh, I was like. Uh, my mother-in-law thought the world of Nancy Grace. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. Let, let me ask you a question. Did you get a death verdict in some of your cases? Uh, never. You never got a death verdict. I, ne- I never. And and that's why that's why this happened. There was never a death penalty uh, weighed that was not tried in my courtroom. These other judges, and I don't know if Tain had one. They were they would all, they would plead out, and I would go like, uh, uh, you know, because you you don't have the pain I've had. But I I think I think one one of the reasons was they had never gotten one, and certainly in the Fred Tokar's trial and in the in the uh, 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 the courthouse killer trial. There were many people that thought there was, uh, you know, a possibility. Yeah, and it, and and uh, in each of those cases, they found all the aggravating cir- circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but spared the so, defendant. So, yeah, I, they were spared in every case. Well, let's talk about one more case uh, that I find fascinating, and I know it didn't go to trial, but I included it in here because the press coverage internationally of this case was just huge uh, during the time I remember. And that's what we call the tri-state crematory case. And uh, I'm just going to give, again, our audience just a little bit of the facts, but it it was at the time just one of those sort of ghoulishly fascinating things that happened. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Ray Brent Marsh uh, took over uh, what was known as the tri-state crematory from his father. Uh, It was family business. And later on, after he took it over from his father, uh, it was discovered that essentially, rather than cremating bodies that were delivered to the crematory, uh, they were giving the families concrete dust and some other things, ashes uh, from other things. We've had, we, we had a fact pattern like that, not nearly this volume, but yeah. we had one of those in Augusta. Well, and, and, and come to find out that 339 bodies were identified. There were probably more, but 339 bodies were identified just on the property. Just, just kind of like stacked rotting. up. Just, I mean, they, they were in a storage shed. Some were just kind of out in the property. They were everywhere. I mean, I remember seeing some video and some other things, and it was it was it was horrifying. But it it gained some international press. Now, ultimately, 
that was a complicated case, as I recall, because there was a prosecution going on in, um, in Walker County, I believe. Uh, and then there was another prosecution going on just across the state line in Tennessee simultaneously because some of the bodies had come from there and there were some uh, allegations of criminal activity there. And then there was also a federal case going on, a, a civil case, I believe, that was going on at the same time. So anyway, you had all of those things swirling around this, plus international press coverage about this. Talk, talk about that. Talk, talk about how, you know, first of all, because you were dealing with the families, essentially, of 339, you know, deceased people, many, many victims. How, how do you deal with that, first of all, and, and accommodate those people and, and, and understand that you've got that many people who are involved in the case? The, the four judges in that circuit had recused themselves, uh, and uh, I was asked, to take it over. That was I'm in, noticing a trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was in our district, the uh, the, the judicial district. It was in our district, and it was in Walker County. So I think those folks, those folks, uh, I don't know whether they had a say in it, but they were comfortable with me because they, I, you know, some well, you'd say years at before the, the Key West Inn. Well, so. actually, he didn't say the Key West. Yeah, uh, he stayed in Dalton. That's the, right. The the um, so. Here's some of the things I that I remember from that. I've never had a case that we've we're driving to the courthouse and there are people with signs, you know, remember, you know, Brian, my father, or whatever. And there were there were people uh, there. And of course, when you have the 300 plus bodies, you've got all these different relatives. And uh, I think I was surprised about about just how impactful it was for some folks. For instance, I've, I've uh, thankfully, I haven't really had any deaths in my family other than my parents because of my age. But I, I, don't, I, I don't think I would have been as upset, you know, as, as some of the folks were. But I found that, look, they, you know, everybody deals with it a different way. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I said that, you know, it was very important. And I knew then we'd be dealing with more victims than I've ever dealt with before. And we had many hearings. The case was up at the Georgia Supreme Court uh, for an interim appeal. We had decided we were going to move it. We were going to take the jurors from Lee County, uh, Georgia, which was down near um, southwest Georgia. Mm -hmm. That's right. And we were going to going to bust them, bring them up here, bring them, which was going to be a nightmare just to, you know, and it was, um, so they, know, you'd have to sequester them. You couldn't drive them back and forth yeah, every day. It, well, no, but I think they were going to, we were talking about at that point, we were going to drive them back every weekend, but it wasn't just to walk in the park and it was going to be, uh, it, it was something like 700 counts. Uh, uh, of course the defense was challenging and they were saying, because it really wasn't, there really wasn't a plain law about, well, if you don't cremate, then you violated Title 16 and the, this uh, section. So um, uh, when they reached a plea agreement, uh, there was nobody happier than Judge Potterford. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was 12 years. It was 12 years. And, uh, you know, we, we all know if I sit down and talk to you, Wade, or you, Tane, about a a residential burglary and the second time, we probably know we've got a, a range 
about what somebody is going to do, whether it's going to be probation or they have to serve some time or what. There's no, there was no range for this, but they had worked out. It was 12 years. And I was down in New Orleans at a seminar. Um, uh, uh, I was like a, uh, it had a drug court seminar and they called me and said it was an emergency. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's gotten shot because he, yeah. he got out on bond. And, and I said, oh my gosh, but they told me that. And they told me 12 years and I thought that, that, that was probably just the sweet spot. You know, yeah. there's yeah. no, yeah. there's no, um, but I remember telling him, they literally before the plea, I said, we're going to hear from everybody that wants to talk. And I think we'd put three, three days, but I said, I'm going to accept the plea unless there's something that comes up that's crazy. And, uh, and then I may have to recuse myself, but I'm, they had come and presented it to me. I didn't have anything to do with the uh, origination of it, but I said, we're going to listen and we're going to listen carefully. But I said to him, you're going to have to serve all 12 years. And, uh, we were all back there in chambers and, um, and he had to serve all 12 years, but he was not a complainer. We, we've all seen people in the court oh, yeah. that are complainers. He, he never complained. Uh, they did they, the victims complain. Uh, yes. And there were, but there were, there were some victims that were, um, it, 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 it had the whole scale from people that were just in sense, uh, mostly at the DA and then other folks that were so happy. I remember one lady came up and looked at him and said, I want to come visit you in jail and just have like a friendly conversation with you. And I'm going, I, I'm not getting it, but I'm also respectful of that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that's like it because I, I know I'm dealing with it differently. I, I did want to tell you one story that I, that I think talking about the international publicity, I'm in Estonia. I'm in Tallinn, Estonia, okay. and I'm, I'm teaching judges there. I'm teaching judges just about our American system. I'm teaching them. They are not too happy, really, to see Judge Jim Botterford. They're not as happy as I thought they might be. It's, <laughs> right. it's one more American judge coming over here uh, and Lecturing telling us. us yeah. Tell us. It was then they, they were about ready to take questions, but uh, the Estonian speaker, the translator, said, I wanted to let you know about Judge Botterford has this particular case right now. You know, it's all over the news, and it was on CNN International. I became the most popular guy in, in, <laughs> in, in Estonia. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, I was like, I, I was getting these invitations to go out, and, you know, like, can I, you know, uh, uh, all these different groups were coming up. So it was, it was fantastic about, I was watching my own case in either Tartu, Estonia, or, or Talon. I was watching it. That's amazing. That's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like I'm going, uh, uh, and um, so uh, thankfully that case did plea. It's it's the only big high profile case that I have, and I think most people were satisfied. It was not, you know. It, and I have one quick question about that. Now, I know it resolved in a plea bargain, but I said before there were a whole bunch of things going on all at the same time, other prosecutions of cases. The plea bargain, I think, ended up happening essentially simultaneously with a resolution of the civil claims and, and lawsuit as well. Was there any coordination? I know you probably not with you, but I mean, was there a coordination of those resolutions as far as you know? No, none with me. I started out when I, when I first took the case, 
I started out handling the civil cases in Walker County, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And after a two and a half hour calendar call that took that many lawyers to tell me who they were, mm-hmm. they were I'm, wow. I'm so-and-so and I'm representing so-and-so, I, I learned two things. One, I learned on the way back home, I was calling the seventh district said, I will continue on the criminal case, but the civil case, no. And I also <laughs> knew there was a lot of funeral homes had a lot of insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Because people were suing yeah. the For insurance homes. homes. Sent, and it's uh, it, interesting, interesting enough the during during before we had our plea bargain, the the uh, uh, the civil judge in federal court in Rome set the cases for trial. And he said, if you have a leave of absence, I'm canceling them. And it, and it was like I was going like, boy, I wish I could do that. Yeah. But it was settled, that, settled, uh, settled. That's that's exactly what happened. And I said, well, I'm glad I didn't schedule my criminal case then, but I'm not I don't right. want to go to federal jail. No, for no, no. It's good to be a federal judge. <laughs> so well, if you had words of wisdom to give to a judge who was who was embarking on a monster trial, not identifying any particular trial, but there might be a few going on in Georgia right now. What would you tell them? Uh, and we and we've talked about some of this before that that uh, you need to start preparing on the first day, and uh, obviously there you you need to get uh, different advice, just like we all still get advice today about uh, certain things. You you can't prepare enough. And uh, it might be the super. It might be your Super Bowl. Uh, you know, um, uh, you won't try. We've talked about that in the first episode. You won't be able to try a perfect case, so don't try it. Don't don't try to that. And then you bet you better have a thick skin because. And and I'm I mean that you've got to have a, a thick skin. But you if you do what you do every single day, you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. When I came back from Fred Tokars. I, people would come up to me and said, "You were terrific. We watched you every day." And and I I said, "That's what every judge does." We I just did. We, that's what every judge does. They had them, and I think particularly. And I, I hate to be. I, I'm hoping it's not disrespectful, but after the OJ case, I was smart enough to try mine right after OJ. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. I think the public <laughs> thought that that's the way it happened was was uh, OJ, and you remember that the judge would judge Ito, judge, and the judge would recess at three o'clock every day, and the jurors would go back to their uh, hotel room. They were sequestered. And um, so, uh, you know, just do what we do every single day and know, know that you'll be scrutinized on everything you do. Uh, the, the one thing I see in the South Carolina case now that's gotten so much published. The Murdoch case. Mm-hmm. And the clerk is now being scrutinized or whatever. I don't think you you better not look at it as a career builder or, or whatever. And you better you better not be thinking about writing a book. And if you are thinking about writing a book, just just get out of that case. Sure. Uh, because it is going to come back to bite you. Uh so uh, I would just say to uh, work hard, and I'm 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 certainly here um, to h- try to help anybody at all. The um, the El Paso folks, I, I knew the court administrator out there, and he called me after. Remember the one the the multiple killing out there in Walmart, and, and yes. uh, I I never went out there, but he was he asked me if I'd be available. I said, well, sure, I would be. I mean, you know, I. Uh, if, I, if I could help, anyway. no sense in everybody getting beat to death. If you if you've already taken the beating, 
You can share what you learned. And then, and, and Wade, as we also talked about before, if you've made the mistake, let me tell you about the mistake you don't want to make. Because <laughs> right. I made it. And, Absolutely. And, and I can remember, I can remember, you you know, I, I, I'm looking at you two like I had it so organized. When I went down to uh, the Nichols case, the courthouse killer, and had those three really good court reporters that it was the the uh, method down there was the evidence went to the court reporters mm -hmm. that's what we do all right and so in in Cobb we don't do that but that was fine I was not going to change anything but only found out halfway during the trial that the court reporters if the defense lap counsel wanted it or the prosecution wanted it, they loaned it back out to them oh my and it was like uh, now, now that's you need to know those things yeah, ahead of time and I'm, I'm going what and i can remember and and we literally spent half a day getting it all oh, back in oh and going over goodness. the in inventory so oh my mm. goodness well, gosh, we could. I, I could ask you because I know you've yeah. tried other big cases, so I could ask you so much stuff. But I, I just want to thank you so much, Jim, yeah, for being you. with us today. This is fascinating, and I, I you know, uh, for anybody who's about to try a big case uh, anywhere or, or does try one in the future, I mean, I think all of that is just great advice. And I, I'll remind our listeners too: don't forget, uh, we also have a, an episode on Rule Twenty Two, which fits into all of this. Uh, episode about open courtrooms. Episodes about judicial canons. We've even done. Consider. one on big cases yeah not long ago that's exactly right so so, so that's don't all we this. so that's all we have for this episode um and i guess this mini series thanks again to our special guest judge bodiford and and thanks for letting us put a pause on your vacay yeah um <laughs> one of the one of the most valuable things that we overlook in this in this industry in this profession is the wisdom of our elders because we don't all know our elders and I hope that that people get the sense of how approachable you are and how willing you are to share that information because they've listened to the podcast. So thank you again for all of that. Um, with that being said, if you have if you have questions for us, you can reach out to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Be sure to like us and follow us and do all that stuff on the podcast platforms. And Tame, where else can they find us? You can also find us on LinkedIn. So uh, thanks a lot, folks. Well, now it's a favorite time for most people who listen to our podcast, the music trivia section of our podcast. See, audience loves this, loves this part. So today's music trivia excursion takes us away from individual bands or even genres. Instead, today we're talking women in music. Not a specific artist, but women in general. Random questions involving women in pop music. Cool. All right. Lady Gaga, also known as Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanotti, Germanata, uh, got her stage name given to her based upon a song from a very famous band. Anybody know what that was? I did not look at it. Um, Radio Gaga by... Um, Queen and David Bowie. All right, read the answer. Was that it? The band Queen, the song Radio Gaga. Look Whoa, at you. It. Knocked it out of the park, man. I love me some Queen. Uh, Taylor Swift's first album was self-titled Taylor Swift. What year did that album come out? Hint, Taylor is 33 years old and will be 34 on 12-13-2023. All right, I think I can figure this one out, Wade, because I saw her 
open for Keith Urban when she was 19 years old. So if she's 33 now, that would have been uh, 14 years ago. So that would have been 2009. So I would say 2008. That's going to be my guess. It's your final answer? That's my final answer. Darn, it was 2006. Oh, well. I was, I was close. Yeah, was you're in the, ball, in the right ballpark. I was in the ballpark there. Uh, dang, we're getting old. Uh, all right, multiple choice. We're going to switch this up. What music video featured Madonna sailing from the canals of Venice? In the canals. In the canals of Venice. Okay, you remember the video. Uh, so was that the video for the song Justify My Love, Live to Tell, Papa Don't Preach, Holiday, or Like a Virgin? Wow, man, you made that difficult so she's in the canals um i'm gonna say i'm gonna say i'm torn between two i'm gonna say like a virgin final answer that's my final answer all right the answer is like a virgin i nailed it man i truly did not look at that uh i just vaguely remember that video all right finally uh, name the first woman ever inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, notice it's rock and roll. Yeah. Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, Mama Cass Elliott, or Stevie Nicks. Wow. Um, I mean, based on kind of their ages and stuff, I'm going to say Aretha Franklin. Final, final answer? Final answer, yes. Aretha! Woohoo! I did not look, folks. I did not cheat on this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure having you listen to us on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Steven Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website, goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. 
but seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.